Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Katie Orr. In this week for Marisa Lagos, today on The Breakdown, she guided Barbara Boxer to an upset victory in her first run for the U.S. Senate in 1992, the historic Year of the Woman. We're talking, of course, about Rose Kapolchinsky, Democratic campaign consultant based in Los Angeles, coming today from Seattle or somewhere up in Washington. We'll talk to her about that. She got her start in politics as a teenager volunteering for George McGovern's presidential campaign and uh, her first full-time gig in politics working for Senator Gary Hart, his presidential campaign in 1984. We'll talk to her about all those things in just a minute. But Katie, first of all, you know, we, we have to talk about polls. I know we always say they're a snapshot in time, right? But uh, you have to say this was a pretty good snapshot for, uh, for the governor, for Gavin Newsom. Um, a lot of people thinking about the recall as we wait to see if it's going to qualify, which we're quite sure it will. 54% approval rating for him. And when it comes to that question of the recall, 40% say they would vote for it. 56% would not. That's not a bad place to start for him. Yeah, you got to imagine that he is breathing a, a, a sigh of relief because things were not always looking so great for him in recent weeks here. And uh, But now with the COVID vaccination seemingly picking up pace, uh, California, of course, has now opened it to everyone 50 plus and will soon be opening it to everyone 16 and older. Uh, and these numbers coming out for him, I'm sure he's not as worried about the recall and maybe perhaps not as worried about another Democrat jumping in to try and, you know, sort of cut him off if... <laughs> Yeah, if things don't go his way. <laughs> yeah, we want to talk to our guest about all that as well. But at the same time, you know, I mean, he, I think there's a lot of comparisons between what Gray Davis was going through at this point in 2003, and they're very different. Gray Davis had approval ratings in the 20s. Uh, there were rolling blackouts throughout California. Later found out that was because Enron was gaming the uh, system. But, uh, you know, so I, I, Newsom has never fallen to that level uh, in terms of approval. So that's got to be good. And just looking at some of the crosstabs of the nonpartisan uh, voters, independent voters, 42 percent yes on the recall, 53 percent no. And, of course, Democrats are very, very much opposed to it. And these are numbers, as Guy Marzarotti pointed out in his reporting this week, very similar to what the uh, the 2018 gubernatorial election numbers were. So uh, in some ways, it hasn't really changed much. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there is natural exasperation with COVID uh, just because we've all been living in this weird situation for so long. But I don't think it rises to the level for most people, and as this poll shows us, that they actually want to go through the process of replacing the governor, especially since the Republicans don't have a strong presence in California. So who is the alternative? So I think, again, this poll right now, things are looking okay for for Gavin Newsom. (laughs) They, you know, and things can change, of course, in politics, uh, as the French Laundry Dinner uh, will tell us, or look at Andrew Cuomo in New York State. But, yeah, you'd have to say that things are pretty good right now. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember the 1983 recall of Mayor Diane Feinstein in San Francisco. I was living here then. And she was, of course, horrified by that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in the end, it lost 80-20. And whereas she might have had some kind of a challenge against her because she was not, you know, she was somewhat controversial and not universally popular. But when you see that kind of a result in a recall election, who's going to spend any money or time to, to, to run against her? And I'm sure Newsom is hoping, treating this probably very much like the run up to 2022 and uh, thinking that if he can really hit this one out of the park, appropriate metaphor, it's opening day, uh, <laughs> then, um, you know, then maybe maybe it'll end up being a good thing for him. That said, I'm sure all things considered, he would rather not have to deal with this. Right. I mean, you always think there might always be some kind of asterisk near his uh, name for his first time. You know, Gavin Newsom, who survived a recall effort. I mean, I'm sure he'd rather that not be there, but that's better than saying he didn't survive it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also survived today a shot. In the arm. <laughs> he got the J&J yes. vaccine uh, by his own doctor, Dr. Mark Galley, who, of course, <laughs> is the health secretary, health and human services secretary. Uh, interesting that he got the J&J vaccine. You know, it's the one and done. It's, you know, there's so much of this, like, status now. Like, hey, it's right. have you gotten the shot? Have you been vaccinated? And then which one did you get? You know, like, who asks these questions about anything else? And the J&J has been kind of like, you know, the poor stepchild of vaccinations, even though it's really good. Uh, better right. than the flu shot, that's for sure, in terms of... Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I think that that's the I think they were probably pretty strategic in getting that shot to show that it's just as good as the other two shots, because uh, barring, you know, the the problems we saw with the manufacturer manufacturing of it uh, this this past week. I feel like that's probably what a lot of people will end up getting just because it's easy to distribute and you one and done. And so he needs to show people that, hey, this is okay, You can get it. I got it. I'm fine. Dr. Galley had gotten the J&J vaccine as well. So I think we have a lot of messaging there. Yeah, and the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed as well. (laughs) They're all getting it. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, as promised, we're going to be joined by veteran Democratic campaign consultant Rose Kapolchinski. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Katie Orr. And our guest today ran one of the most historic campaigns in electoral politics here in California, Democratic consultant uh, that steered Barbara Boxer to victory in the 1992 Senate race, the same year Dianne Feinstein was elected. And she's here to discuss all that and much more. Rose Kapolchinsky, welcome to Political Breakdown. Great to be here. Happy opening day. Yes, happy opening <laughs> day. The Do- you're going for the Dodgers. <laughs> I prefer the Giants. Katie, I have no idea who you're supporting. I'm not a baseball fan. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, I, first of all, I just have to, as someone whose dad was born in Poland, I have to acknowledge your fantastic Polish name. The immigration officers changed my father's name to Schaefer. Your relatives got through somehow unscathed. You know, all of my uh, father's brothers uh, shortened their name to Kapel to try to fit in as immigrants, um, second generation immigrants. Um, uh, but my dad thought it was distinctive, you know, and why change it? And uh, it is memorable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> once, they, once they figure out the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I've you got my to... dad's. I've got my dad's name written down somewhere, and it's in a folder. I can't, I don't know if I could pronounce it, but that's not why we're here today. Uh, <laughs> you heard us talking about the recall. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, about the PPIC poll, about the recall itself, the governor kind of calling it a Republican attempt to, you know, take over the state. What do you think? As long as the recall remains a race between Gavin Newsom and Donald Trump, the governor's not going to have a problem. Um, and as long as the pandemic continues to um, fade as a pain point um, for Californians, um, uh, he's going to be in good shape. Um, uh, the pandemic's been frustrating for everyone, um, but now that vaccinations are speeding up, uh, the economy's reopening, uh, things seem to be on the right track, um, people are more optimistic, and by the time the election rolls around, um, they're going to forget about that dinner in Napa. <laughs> but Rose, I wonder, is there anything that the governor can still take from this whole debacle, if you want to call that? Assuming he makes it through, which, you know, it looks like he will. Um, he still got here in the first place. So what can he do differently? I think he's doing exactly what he needs to do. He's out there on the road um, showing people he understands what's going on in the state. Uh, He understands their concerns. He's taking action to get California reopened um, in a safe way. Um, And so uh, I think being out there and being visible um, is a, a really important part of his success. Um, in a crisis, people want to see their leaders. And that's one of the reasons he got high marks for those briefings at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, uh, and then when it got a lot more complicated um, over the last six months um, uh, with inconsistent direction from Washington and surges, um, uh, it became 
it became more of a political problem too. Yeah, of and of course there's pandemic fatigue setting in as well. You know, the, one of the big questions, and of course we're getting ahead of things a little bit, but will a Democrat run? Because many people don't know this, but the recall is two parts. There's the first question, should the governor be recalled, yes or no? And if that first question gets 50% plus one, then you go to the second part, becomes relevant, which is who would you like the governor to be? Right now there's no real credible Democrats running. Um, and we have you know a couple of Republicans, at least Faulkner and John Cox. What, then there's debate. Uh, Nancy Pelosi says no way should a Democrat even think about getting in. You remember back when Gray Davis was being recalled, Cruz Bustamante, the lieutenant governor, did jump in. Um, what are your thoughts? Is it is it an insurance policy that Democrats should take out to have somebody on there that is an alternative? The governor's numbers are strong and getting stronger, and I don't see any reason for Democrats to panic and think we need a plan B. And in fact, it will confuse voters. Um, it, it, you know, most voters are not paying attention to politics every day like we are. Uh, and so you present them with a complicated recall ballot anyway, and then you're supposed to vote no, but you vote yes on someone else. Um, much simpler to just say no on the recall. Um, and any Democrat who was tempted looking at these improving poll numbers, uh, it would just be a suicide mission. Um, I don't know why anyone would do it. Surely there will be dozens of people who file, but no serious Democrat. Talking a little bit about, you know, who's going to be governor, remain governor. In California, we've had a lot of success with women ascending to high positions of power on the federal level, but not so much on the state level. We've never had a woman governor. Uh, why do you think that is? Where's that disconnect and what's it going to take to break that barrier? Well, I think it, there's a couple things. One is we do lag behind um, the California congressional delegation a little bit. About 30 percent of the legislature is women. About 36% of the California congressional delegation are women. Um, uh, and I think part of the answer is recruiting more candidates to, to run because uh, when women run, they win in almost the same numbers as men do, but we just don't have enough qualified, credentialed, ready women um, running. And that's one of the reasons that um, over the past couple of years, I've been working with Emerge that trains candidates um, for all levels. And now I'm working with Close the Gap that is specifically focused on recruiting women to run for the legislature. Um, and there is some good news, I'm hopeful. Um, number one, there's 90 open seats in the legislature in the next four years. Um, and open seats are easier to win than taking on an incumbent, of course. Um, uh, second, there's a great pipeline um, of, of candidates coming up. Um, Grassroots Lab did a study about women at the local level. And just six years ago, there were only 28% uh, uh, women at the local level. And now it's 39%. So there's a surge of women who are now gonna have the credentials uh, to run for the legislature and win. Um, and I would just say, and I think men, enlightened men who still control most of the power structure and the political money in America uh, are also digging deep. And, and if every man 
uh, listening to this program uh, gave one extra donation to a promising woman candidate, uh, we could change things a lot quicker. We want to talk about, of course, the iconic Year of the Woman 1992, but we do want to get a little bit into your biography. I think you were... Pardon me for saying, uh, and I was too, born in the 50s. Um, but what are some of yes. your earliest memories of politics, like what, you know, politics or political events? Yeah, I grew up in a working class household. Uh, my mom was a waitress. My dad was a construction worker and then a janitor. Um, and um, growing up in the 60s was such a tumultuous time in our country. Um, you know, I was eight in 1963 when President Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, you know, just getting into my teens in 1968 when we had the assassination of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and, and then the civil unrest that followed that. Um, but there was also a feeling of hopefulness um, and change and uh, new opportunity. Um, uh, the want ads stopped saying, help wanted men and help wanted women. Uh, and instead, even if there was still an implicit bias there, women could apply for anything. Um, when I was in high school, the first Earth Day in 1970 uh, occurred and you know millions of people were standing up for the environment in a very visible way. Um, and uh, so there was great trouble, of course, the Vietnam War the backdrop for a lot of that. Um, a lot of people and, got turned off to politics by all that. You know, what, why did you decide to go full speed ahead? You know, like a lot of people, I had a really influential teacher who um, I think was pivotal in my view of the world, um, Mr. Gatsky, my biology teacher in high school. Um, and uh, after Earth Day, a lot of us were talking about wow, what could we do in our little town in Wisconsin? And he said, why don't you start an ecology club? And he not only took us on nature field trips, which were cool because I love the outdoors and nature, but uh, he took us to county council meetings and said, here's how ordinances are passed. And look at the people who are arguing each side and who's organized and brought people here. And then in our high school, we learned that the faculty lounge soda machine was gonna give up on its returnable bottles and go to aluminum cans, which were not recycled at that time. And we were upset, Mr. Gatsky said, why don't you do something about it? So we lobbied the administration and got people to sign letters and uh, quietly they dropped the plan to go to aluminum cans. And that was one of the first times I learned that if you organize and mobilize, you can make change, but you might not always get the credit. They might not even admit they're doing what you want. So uh, that was really pivotal for me. And, and I think set me on my path to, to working uh, for causes and for candidates. Tell us a little bit about uh, your your first campaign, 1984. You went to work for Colorado Senator Gary Hart uh, for for his uh, run for um, for president. What was that like? Oh, it was an incredible experience. Um, I had volunteered on campaigns, and as a I started my career as an environmental organizer and lobbyist. And for the Sierra Club, I was donated to campaigns as a 
volunteer, uh, super volunteer. So I had some experience and uh, passion. And I had really been thinking about campaigns because I realized that we couldn't make the change I wanted to see unless we elected better people to office. And back then in the early 80s, uh, not every Democrat was pro-environment. Um, uh, much of labor uh, was more focused on cutting trees and building dams than building transit. Uh, and uh, so um, I knew the Hart uh, Senate staff from previous work and um, they called and asked if I was interested in, in organizing environmentalists for the Hart campaign. And uh, I thought, oh my God, this might be my one chance at a full-time job in politics. <laughs> Little I've did you know. do it. <laughs> If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here today with Katie Orham. We're talking with Democratic campaign consultant Rose Kapolchinski. Gary Hart was a, a real underdog. Uh, he had his moment in that campaign where, you know, he kind of caught fire and Walter Mondale uh, was sort of on the run uh, for the Democratic nomination. But I'm wondering, um, is there something, because Barbara Boxer also in 1992 was something of an underdog. She was running against Leo McCarthy, Mel Levine, the congressman from L.A. Is there something about underdogs that appeals to you? There is. I uh, just love the person who thinks they can exceed expectations and uh, reach for this bigger position where they could really make a difference. Um, uh, and a lot of them don't succeed, Gary Hart, uh, Exhibit A. Um, uh, but uh, I'm much less interested in somebody who's a sure bet. Um, yes, I could put my skills to work for that person to make sure that the sure bet is a sure bet, but it's much more interesting and exciting to work for someone who um, uh, is either running for an open seat or um, uh, is the underdog. You have, you know, run all of Barbara Boxer's uh, Senate campaigns. And how does it feel? You're so tied to her professionally. What is that like for you to be so closely associated with this other with this other person for your entire career? Yeah, it's uh amazing looking back at uh, meeting her for the first time in 1991 uh, when she was definitely the underdog and uh, uh, looking for a new campaign manager um, and that incredible uh, uh, victory against the odds and then helping her get reelected. Um, uh, but part of uh, politics for me has always been a means to an end. Um, I'm really interested in policy and change, and I happen to be good at campaigns and politics, so that's where I'm working. Um, and so after uh, Boxer was elected in 1992, I went into her Senate office for 10 years um, running her state operations, and it was an amazing job. I went to all 58 counties and learned about agriculture and went on border tours and, uh, and you know, really made a difference uh, putting her influence to work at the local level. Um, but it is uh, uh, strange now to uh, have her out of office. Of course, we're still in touch, um, but uh, yes, that was a lot of my career um, spent uh, with Barbara Boxer.
that election in 1992, of course, came, as I said, it became known as the Year of the Woman. Uh, it came right on the heels of the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings and people very unhappy with how Anita Hill was treated by Joe Biden, among others. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, I think very few people would have guessed that the, uh, the voters in California would elect two Jewish women from the Bay Area, which, of course, is exactly what happened. How did uh, what was the chemistry between those two women like in 1992? Because they're very different people. Well, they were two very different campaigns, um, despite the the framing when they finally got sworn in of Thelma and Louise. Um, uh, the two campaigns were not uh, joined at the hip. Um, Feinstein had her campaign um, with a very different set of primary candidates. Um, and she was running against uh, an incumbent, right? John Seymour. Right. Um, and then we had the open seat. Um, uh, and so the, and, and Boxer's campaign was more running against uh, the establishment. Um, uh, uh, for example, on, uh, you know, one of our ads was the Senate, has its own way of doing things, but that's not right for California and I'm gonna shake up that Senate. Um, well, that was a cue to women who were upset about Anita Hill, but it was also a cue to every California who was hurting in the recession. Um, and uh, uh, so we really leaned into that message uh, that the Senate was out of touch. Um, they needed a wake up call uh, and uh, uh, I think that was really key to our success. And then our election was, general election was much closer than Feinstein's. Bruce Hershenson, the Republican, was well-known television commentator back when those existed. Uh, and uh, on, on the nightly news. Um, and uh, uh, it was a, an eventual victory with less than 50% of the vote because there was a third party candidate. I wonder what your take is on all of these people or a lot of people saying that it's time for Senator Feinstein to step down, retire, not run again. She's in her 80s. I mean, what do you what is your take on that? People don't realize that uh, being an elected official is a career for many people. And, um, uh, you know, Senator Feinstein um, it was just reelected by the voters. Uh, and this is her career. She loves it. She's good at it. Um, and uh, I don't think uh, we would be going to her if she were the head of a major business and saying, you know, it's time for you to go. But Barbara Boxer um, retired. She retired. I don't know what her exact age was, but she was, you know, I would say at the top of her game, you know, and there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Yeah, I, for Boxer, I really think it was personal more than anything. She wanted to get off the commute to D.C. and be home in the desert uh, with her fully retired husband. Um, and uh, uh, and you know, for Senator Feinstein, I think she'll make the decision um, when she's ready to. Um, uh, but, you know, I think a lot of the people who want Senator Feinstein to uh, retire early um, are not in sync with her politics. Um, and 
really what they want is a, a different kind of senator. And I respect that. And they tried to get it in 2018 when Kevin DeLeon ran. Um, you know, I have to ask you, Rose, uh, I'm just looking at my Twitter feed and Barbara Boxer has tweeted that she is thinking about getting into either the race for Riverside County Supervisor or maybe the even the mayor of Palm Springs. Are, are those campaigns that you would help her with? I believe that it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> 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 Thought maybe we could reel you in on that one. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, we, we did joke about your being uh, a, and she is very happily retired, we should say, right? I mean, so obviously yes. she, so maybe that was, an, maybe that was too easy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you, but you are a big baseball fan, um, no joke. Um, how do you think the Dodgers are going to do this year? World champions, one more time. No, it's, uh, you know, being a Dodgers fan, there's uh, heartache and heart-stopping moments, particularly in October. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was great, even with the pandemic, to see them finally make it. You guys in the Bay Area, you know, world championships, you've had two or three of them, right? Oh, more than that, yeah. I mean, the Giants had three and the A's had a great string back in the summer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but who's counting? I'm from San Diego, so we're not, we're not yeah, familiar with championships yeah, not a lot of, uh, in San Diego. Not a lot of championship rings at Petco Park. Well, <laughs> um, Rose, really want to thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and all the work you've done. And you're still, you're still in the biz, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, all the great candidates who are going to run in 2022 and and great issue campaigns that are going on. Um, so um, and political breakdown is going to cover them all. That's, one of my favorite <laughs> That's right. Shows. We are ready to go. We thought 2021 was going to be an off year. It didn't quite work out that way. But yeah. thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us. And we really appreciate your uh, your being on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That does it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, and Erica Aguilar. We'd love to know what you'd like to hear about on the show or who you'd like to hear from in the weeks ahead. You can tweet your suggestions to me. I'm at one Katie Orr. The one. That's right. Or to me. I'm Scott <laughs> Schaefer, at Scott Schaefer. Send us some good ideas and we'll, we'll take it from there. Thanks so much for listening. Happy April Fool's Day and stay safe out there. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and 
I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.